it's Wednesday. That means it's time for the Katie Helper Show on WBAI. That's WBAI.org or 99.5 FM. And we have a real treat of a show today. We are going to be talking to former Ohio State Senator Nina Turner, who is a pretty amazing politician, organizer, and speaker, and was a Bernie Sanders surrogate. And then we will be talking to Melissa Byrne, who actually was part of the Bernie Sanders campaign and is running for vice chair of the DNC. But first, a word from our not-so-corporate sponsor. In a world where major telecommunication companies have outsourced American jobs and helped the government spy on American citizens, wouldn't it be nice to use your phone as a force for good and not evil? Well, you can. Thanks to Credo Mobile, a progressive phone company. Every month they take a share of their revenue, more than $150,000, and donate it to incredible progressive organizations. And that adds up. They've already contributed over $81 million to organizations like the Brennan Center for Justice, Amnesty International, and Planned Parenthood. And Credo customers vote to determine which organizations get how much money. Not only does Credo fund progressive causes, but you get to use the phone of your choice with great service. Right now, Credo has a special deal for Katie Halper Show listeners. Go to credo.com slash katie, that's credo.com slash k-a-t-i-e, and get 50% off unlimited talk and text for two years. Plus, select smartphones are free. Just go to c-r-e-d-o dot c-o-m slash k-a-t-i-e, that's credo.com slash katie, or call 1-800-260-1254 and tell them Katie Helper sent ya. It's time your phone company represented your values. That's credo.com slash katie today. So go to credo.com slash katie today. And make sure you go to patreon.com slash the katie helper show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the katie helper show for bonus content. I'm here, of course, as usual with Gabe Pacheco and, of course, Reggie Johnson on the uh, engineering front. And, Gabe, how many times on the show, how frequently do I talk about Nina Turner? Daily, constantly. <laughs> right. I mean, what's funny is Gabe says I say it daily, and it's I a mean, weekly I get text, show. I mean, I get texts from right. you. Right, it's true, it's you true. You text I me daily. Have, I do. I always constantly. have Nina Turner on the mind. We are so grateful to be speaking with our next guest, Nina Senator Turner? Nina Turner. Yeah, yes, of course. of course. Yeah. Here she is. And she's, she's here. Senator Turner? Hi. Hi. Thank you so much Hi, for speaking to us. We're so excited. Well, thanks for having me. Former Senator, Ohio State Senator Nina Turner is a professor, and she is also, uh, was a very active and inspiring surrogate for Bernie Sanders, and she was also named as uh, one of the top 100 most influential African Americans in the United States by The Root, and Cleveland's Inside Business magazine named her one of the top 25 most powerful people northeast, in Northeast Ohio. But I think you're one of the top 25 most powerful people in all of Ohio. And <laughs> well, I'm going to say you. in the entire, I'm going to say in the United States, not that I have any business saying that and I don't run a business <laughs> magazine. I receive it though. Thank you. Oh yeah. Oh good. Thank you. Um, and you're here, you're talking with my, me and my co-host, Gabe Pacheco. Okay. Hi, Dave. Hi. Um, and Reggie Johnson, and, our engineer and hi, chief. Hi, Reggie. Hello there. I first 
remember being struck by you um, when I saw you speak, and I can't remember what, where it was. I just remember being worried that you were such a talented speaker that you were going to maybe overshadow Bernie Sanders. That was the <laughs> one thing that I, my one worry. But I remember then that you actually were in the news over a, a certain bill that you tried to pass about men's health. Oh, my goodness. That was my erectile dysfunction bill. Yes. And I introduced that bill a few years ago. Well, so far this year, less than a quarter into 2012, 430 reproductive-related bills have surfaced in states across the country. But now a state senator is calling for equal rights for men. Introducing a bill for Viagra, before a prescription is written, men would have to see a sex therapist. Can you, can you remind yes. our, our listeners about that? I introduced that bill a few years ago. I was just really fed up with my Republican colleagues all across the country, but also in my home state, you know, introducing bills that really interfere with a woman's right to, to make a decision about her body, whatever that decision is. And I wanted to fight back, so I took remnants of a bill called the Heartbeat Bill, which since I've left the legislature, unfortunately, has passed, but I took the language from that bill, and my staff and I worked on another bill to deal with men's erectile dysfunction, which rooted in science. Some of those pills have some really pretty bad side, uh, side effects, you know, could, could happen in right. terms of priaprism or uh, heart conditions, that kind of thing. And so I decided to introduce a bill to tell men what to do with their bodies because I was not in the legislature to help move, you know, education or infrastructure or small businesses. I was there to help the feeble-minded men of the world make medical decisions. So within my bill, a man would have to get a signed affidavit by their significant other attesting to the fact that they have challenges, mm, get yes. a sex therapist to, to, to talk to them on a regular basis to determine whether it's psychological or physical. That's right. A lot of times it is psychological. <laughs> yeah. But it was that it, the bill made a really strong, you know, I did, you know, use satire to talk about a very real issue in this country, which is far too many elected officials are spending time, wasting time rather, uh, trying to tell grown women what to do with their bodies instead of using the people's power to make their lives better in terms of infrastructure, small businesses, you know, investing more money in education, you name it. Those are the types of things that we should be doing. But that bill made an international splash. Yeah, and that's, I think, a really important symbol of, of a certain type of politics. I mean, obviously, we're not offering legislation like you are, but one of the things we do is we do try to make things funny or use humor to get people's attention about things that can be really depressing. And Erectile dysfunction yeah. is super depressing. I think this is more upsetting to Gabe than, than the wall, maybe. And Gabe. Yeah, I mean that's important. Has relative too. In, in Mexico, but I think that this is outweighed. Mm -hmm. But it's like generations back, so I, I wouldn't see them anyway. It's true. Uh, but erectile dysfunction is a bummer. You know, yeah. I've heard. I don't know. If there's one way. I, you know, but it's true. Like, if there's one way we could motivate a lot of people, if we could start a rumor that Trump is going to take away people's um, Viagra. Viagra or something yeah. to use it all himself, that's not so unbelievable, actually. But, um, Senator Turner, I wanted to ask you about what you think the role moving forward is of the Democratic Party. And I see a lot of tendencies towards not blaming people, not talking about what happened, 
not looking back. We have to look forward. We just have to defeat Trump. But it seems to me that we can't really defeat Trump if we don't learn from the mistakes that were made, not only just this past uh, election, but certainly then, mm-hmm. but kind of more overall and generationally, as you put it in an interview I read with you, among the Democratic Party. Yeah, Kate, you really hit the nail on the head. In order to move forward, we do have to learn from our past and we do have to look back. And even just our recent past, just what happened during the primaries of 2016, we cannot pretend like those things did not happen. And the way forward is to confess our sins and to figure out how we go forward with everyone. And so this is not just about being a Democrat. This is about being a conscious human being. I want all conscious human beings to unite. And if you believe, you know, in in the same spirit that Senator Bernie Sanders had, that the working poor middle class in this country deserve better, that we need to make sure that we educate our young people so that they're not saddled with college debt in one hand and a college degree in the other that Social Security, Medicaid, and Medicare should be protected, that people should grow up in safe neighborhoods and believe in a future for their children that is better than theirs, that universal health care is a moral and an economic, it's, moral, it's a moral right for me. To me, it's, a, it's the morally right thing to do, but it is also an economically viable thing for this country to do. If you believe those things, then for me, it doesn't matter your political affiliation. We must unite. And I'm going to tell you something, we have to start winning elections. So we know Mm -hmm. that this is primarily a two-party system. Shout out to the third-party folks that challenged the two-party major system, because as Frederick Douglass once said, power Mm concedes nothing, and I'm paraphrasing him, without a struggle. You know, it never has and it never will. And so we have to challenge people, and that comes from the grassroots. So even in people's disappointment about the outcome of the election, and make no mistake, there are millions of people who are disappointed, but there are millions of people also who are happy about this outcome. And so what are we going to do to reach out to all of our sisters and brothers in this country to, as Stephen Covey once said, to seek first to understand and then to be understood instead of talking down to people and calling them names? That is really, but those of us who are on the progressive side, we got to win elections because we can have the most progressive platform, which the Democrats did this time around. Mm -hmm. But that means nothing unless you have the power to execute it. And in order for us to have that power, we need people of good consciousness to be involved, but we also need people of good consciousness to run for office, and we need to win those offices so then we can push those policies that we believe are in the best interest of the people of this country and, by extension, the world. So we have to organize, 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 and we have to win. Right. You know, it's funny, even when you just refer to third-party brothers and sisters, it's so important and so different from what you usually hear from people who are part of any have any relationship to the Democratic Party, which is a shaming and a blaming, right? I mean, Rachel yeah. Maddow blamed uh, the election on Jill Stein. Paul Krugman still does that. I think he needs to have his Nobel Prize revoked. Um, but it's so important, and it speaks to what you were talking about in terms of seeking to understand before you're trying to be understood. Yeah, and, that's Stephen Covey, Katie, and I can't oh, take credit for oh, that. Uh, no, and I don't want him to lose his Nobel Prize. I just want to say that, you know, people have a right in this country to have a different opinion. What I don't like is that we tear people mm-hmm. down. You know, I was just in 
in Emporia State University, and I spoke there. For, I, I gave a lecture on M, about MLK, and I think we can really take a page from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, not just on MLK Day, but just living that way, you know, our lives on a regular basis. And one of the things that he said, you know, he said that only light can can mm-hmm. move darkness, that, that darkness can't do away with darkness, but light can. And, and so we have to be hard on the issues and soft on people, that we don't have to tear people down personally to disagree with them. And one of my concerns about what is happening in this political environment, and not just because Mr. Trump was elected, I see lots of people on the left and lots of people in the Democratic Party who, who will stand up and say, love Trump's hate. But at the same time, they're on social media calling people who don't believe the same way they believe names. Right. So all of us have the capacity for great goodness, and we also have the capacity for, for, to do bad and to hurt people. And so even if we disagree with people hard on the issue, hard on the issue, soft on people that's great that's i'm gonna i'm gonna make that a an instagram definitely or a tattoo a tattoo i i don't i wouldn't if i had to get a tattoo i would get that um but you have a conservative you come from a mixed family as you said you're very brave you've spoken (laughs) about your non-traditional mixed family uh senator turner has a conservative republican brother I do. She does. And he's the second oldest. I'm the oldest of seven children, and he's the second child. It's not yeah. you. Don't blame yourself. I know as the oldest, it was your job to protect him. It's not you. I'm just kidding. But you, you say how that gives you insight, and I think that's really important. And I used to be a, a kind of stereotypical liberal, but there is this interesting divide I think we're seeing among the left where you have people who, have, who call everyone bigots yeah. and people who will kind of acknowledge bigotry but not cast the person as an irredeemable bigot and mm-hmm. like you were saying we have to win elections so my my thing is that I actually like you I think have a kind of more em- empathetic embrace of people and want people who may say bigoted things to be mm-hmm. reached out to so that they're no longer bigots like that seems to be the good thing in the best interest of everyone including the people at the receiving end of bigotry and, well, yeah. uh, take it from me as an African American woman, baby. I have, you know, seen it, heard it. Um, have had relatives in my family who are much older and, and came up in a different generation tell stories about it. So, so I get it. But you know, this country, un- unfortunately, was founded on bigotry. It right. was, and and sexism. And we are all socialized in a country that has made enormous progress. Don't get me wrong, but. A country that was founded by taking away the land of our Native American sisters and brothers, enslaving our African and then second, third, fourth, fifth generation African American sisters and brothers, not treating women as equals. I mean, that is the story of this country. But one of the things we can take great pride in is that through the blood, sweat, and tears of folks who resisted, Mm -hmm. grassroots people who fought, and some folks with titles that fought along the way, we have become and we are a nation of progress and so i think it's just patently unfair and i'm a historian to just blame you know racism and bigotry on one person it didn't start with this person it won't end with that person or 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 certain people that we see that way so it is our responsibility to 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 really you know try to work and understand one another now somebody's just flat out a racist and a bigot and they're trying to hurt people that's 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 different Right, exactly. You know, but but if somebody is expressing themselves, First Amendment, hello, in a way that is not accepting 
we, to me, have an obligation to, to, to seek to understand where they're coming from, to speak out against that kind of stuff. Don't get me wrong, because First Amendment, I think, also gives us a responsibility. But I have said this before. I will say this again, that every Republican is not a flaming racist, and every Democrat is not some freedom fighter. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think that the issue is, like you said, there's some people who are who are going to be lost causes, right? We'll never reach right, them. Right. And we shouldn't, we, so we're not going to waste our time on them. But there are people who I do sincerely think, and I don't think I'm just being naive, I think they're people who are sincerely potential allies. And one of the things that drove me crazy during the election was that people would use the way Bernie uh, resonated among angry white men as evidence that he was racist and like Donald Trump. To me... The whole point is that he spoke to the same audience, but not only that audience, right? That's a big myth that he only had white supporters. But the fact That's that he, right. he could speak to this audience and offer an anti-racist, anti-xenophobic message That's right. is exactly what we needed. But I feel like people were so, I don't know if it was a f- like f- so blind, so fa- fanatical about it, that they really thought that was a bad thing, being able to reach out to the very people we needed to reach. That's right. The very people that would have helped, you know, a, a Democrat win the election. Hello, the same people who voted for President Barack Obama right. ended up this time around in states like mine, Ohio, voting for Mr. Trump. So let's face it. Absolutely. And I can tell you as someone who traveled this country, both with the senator and for the senator, mm. that there were many people of color. Mm. who were supporting him, many African-Americans who were supporting him. He just didn't have enough time because he hadn't been running for president, you know, for a long time. But he saw a need and he got in his race, I believe, if he had more time. But, you know, he is a man that in his 20s and, you know, 21, I believe he was, fighting against bigotry at his own university, the University of Chicago. He didn't have to do that, but he did because he had heart-soul agreement. And someone's history, you know, it, it, it matters. Mm. They're, they're, what they have done for the good, the causes of good, it does matter. And so, yeah, that really bothers me just because Senator Sanders doesn't necessarily express identity politics <laughs> or talk about it in, in a way that some other people feel that he should it is still unfair to brand him as someone who doesn't understand it because he does and all of us can benefit from sitting down you know as accomplished as he is as smart as he is he doesn't necessarily know everything just like you i your your two co-hosts none of us know everything so we all can afford I know to very learn little. from each other but you're absolutely right the way some people tried to turn that around to say that the senator didn't care or he didn't get it he does get it Right. He gets it, and that's why he got in this race. He was fighting this race for all of us. But yeah. I take it from me. And the millennials, you mm. guys' generation, oh, across the eth- across every right. eth- every ethnicity within this country in the millennial generation, Senator Sanders, hands down, combined the votes of Secretary Clinton and now President Trump, hands down in that primary, he outpaced both of them when it came to millennials voting. And so that says to me that the millennial generation sees a Right. We are committed to political, economic, and social justice. That's what it says, and that to me is the beauty of the future, is that the millennial generation, they get, they get it, and they know what kind of world they want to inherit and the kind of world that they want to leave for generations to come behind them. And that excites me even more than what we're going through right now, that millennials get it. And what can we do? You... you 
how how would you like or what are you doing what is our revolution doing and i don't know what your plans are for your your future although i know you have a, a show coming to the real news right the real news network yes congratulations yes, I do. Thank you. I, you know, certainly I am going to continue to be out there. Yes, as a member of our revolution, we are out there helping progressive candidates, standing up for progressive issues, like, for example, the 28th Amendment to the Constitution. You know, we supported those measures in both California and also Washington State this past uh, elections. They passed on the state level, really trying to ready ourselves to continue to fight to to, to overturn Citizens United for your for your listeners, you know, issues like that. Um, the senator was out in California, you know, fighting very hard in other places, issues to try to bring universal Medicare for all. And when we have states and activists trying to push that in their individual states, so we're pushing for progressive candidates, not just pushing for them helping mm. progressive candidates, but also standing up for progressive issues. And I am really honored to be one of 11 Kick behind <laughs> you can say board can members say. Yeah. on our revolution. And, you know, Senator Sanders lit the flame, but it's our job to keep the fire burning. And there are many progressive leaders all over this country. Some are millennials. Some are Gen Xers like me. Some are baby boomers. Some have titles. Right. Some are just everyday grassroots people. But all of us are fighting, putting a little extra on our ordinary so that extraordinary things can happen in this country, for this country, and by extension, the world. And that is really what I want people to take from this, Katie, that, you know, people may be disappointed, but we cannot give up. Right. We must fight that every generation is charged with is advancing social justice, political justice, economic justice for the next generation. And in the words of one of my favorite uh, ministers, uh, Reverend, uh, Reverend Dr. Otis Moss here in Cleveland, who actually marched with Dr. King, he said to me one day when I was feeling really disappoint, disappointed in 2014 about all the voter suppression efforts that were going on in my state and across the, the, the country, he said, you know, he said, Senator, the struggle is forever. So we are forever in the struggle. And that's what I want your listeners to take from this, that we are forever in that struggle, and it is a generational one. It never ends. But the question becomes, what are you going to do for the cause? Mm. Marching is good. The family coming together is good. Us reassuring one another that we can change the world is good. But we have to take action, and that action, one phase of that action is in the political realm. You've got to have the power, the political power, to make the change. And what and so do Dems gotta, have to do to do, to do that? And and my how do Dems how do we push Dems to make changes and fight Trump without recreating this neoliberalism that is what helped get Trump into the White House in the yeah. first place? Well, first of all, it starts with electing a new chairperson mm. of the DNC, which will happen in February, and I think depending on who is elected will show. In my mind. If the Democratic Party is serious about turning things around, Keith Ellison, get out there. Hmm? I, I'm just shat. I just put out the name Keith Ellison just randomly. Yes, yeah. that's it. Yeah. I, I'm supporting Congressman Ellison, and that will show how serious this party is about changing. If that does not happen, I'm not so sure that mm. the party is serious. So we will see it's because it's in the test. hands of about 440 people. So to me, that's one step because the party structure itself has to regain its integrity, mm. right? We lost integrity, and that is what is so 
biting about what happened in 2016, not just that Senator Sanders was not treated fairly, but that the structure that is the Democratic Party lost a portion of its integrity during that primary election. Do you mean Debbie is, Wasserman Saltz? Well, you you named, yes. And, 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 oh, and I was other, just wondering, I don't know. Other leaders, you know, that were a part of that. The Donna Brazil? That was a part of that, people who sat back and watched this kind of... And the people who were being happened. hired by the DNC once again, and the Brock, David Brock type. Who are, yeah, I mean, yeah. all, all of the above. Mm-hmm. We have to, and we have to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. I think Bernie Kratz deserve an apology. Me too. You know, that, that the sins must be confessed. Yes. And that whoever is the next leader must say very clearly that what happened to Senator Sanders in the primary under their watch will never, ever happen to anybody, whether they're running for dog catcher or president mm-hmm. of the United States, that in a primary, the, the DNC, by its bylaws, will be neutral, that no bodies, no fingers, no thumbs will be placed on the scale, and that once that general election happens, that's when it's time, you know, to, to fight for, you know, to, 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 to do what is necessary. But until then, it, it won't happen. And so that kind of apology needs to take place. I fully do believe that there needs to be a healing mm. uh, within the Democratic Party and that the people who were not necessarily diehard Democrats but who started to believe because of the candidacy of Senator Sanders, we have to go and get those people. But in order for the Democratic Party to go get those people, they have to show that we learned our lessons and that the leadership will change and that every person that works for the DNC understands very clearly what their role is and that the D should matter. It shouldn't Mm. just be some letter, some symbol that automatically gets you elected. It is about the value proposition of the Democratic Party. And we lost our way in 2016. And, and we lost because of it. And not only did we lose in 2016, I mean, let's face it, we have been losing a statewide election since 2009, uh, statewide elections and legislatures, which is part of the reason why we are in the condition that we're in right now. It's not just about the presidency, but it's also about state senators and state reps and governors and secretaries of states and auditors and attorney generals, you name it. And so we have to stop saying that it's an off-year election. There's no such thing. Every single year there's an election Mm -hmm. that is important. And we need people to come out. We need them to vote. We need them to run. We need them to care. And we need people who are elected to office to really do what is necessary to change the lives of the people who just elected them and stop whispering sweet nothings in their ears every time it's time to run. But when it's time to put up, right. they're nowhere to be found. And and you, I, I remember seeing you, I think it was on MSNBC, saying something about how Trump sounded like he listened to people. But it really is about knowing and recognizing that people were suffering in this country. And Mr. Trump, like it or not, spoke to that hurt in a way that got him to be now president-elect. And I think that it's so important and and it's, it's, it's brave, although I don't think it should be brave, but we live in a world in which it is brave, to actually acknowledge what people find appealing about Trump. And it's such a metaphor, I think, for the way that some Democrats and liberals just bury their heads in the sand and kind of kick sand back in the faces of other people at the same time. I don't know if that's physically possible. But um, this idea that we can, this, there's a, such a sense of entitlement that we don't need to win people over if they're not already Democrats, right? It's called an election for a reason. Yes. It's called running for office for a reason. Right. That means the person that is running owes it to the people who they want to vote for them to earn their vote. And that's every time they run. 
every single time they run. These, this is not, it's not given to you. You don't right. own the seat, and we do treat these seats like that in this country. Unfortunately, we do, but, but you're running for the office. Right. So that means you have to win people over, and that's everybody, even people who we admire and support. It just really pains me how it, it became the other way around, mm. especially in 2016. It was as if we owed the people that were running instead of them owing something to the people they're running to serve. Right. So we have to win people over, and for God's sakes, if we could just stop tearing each other down right. you know, to prove a point, it's hard, I know. But I'm telling you that that social media is, is, is it, it can be used for good, I, but I it can be that. used for evil, and it's one of the most vile. I mean, I've, I've been called everything but a child of God, you know, just because I am strong-willed woman. Right. I am, you know, I consider myself a Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm, nice. Senator Sanders, Bernie Crat, I like that. unbought right. and unbossed. Nice. And I didn't come this far as a leader in my in my community, in my state, in this nation. I stand up for what is right no matter what, and what I believe is right. And I think everybody has that right, and we can debate the issues, but tearing each other down and thinking it's okay to hire professional trolls right. and some of the despicable things that I've seen happen on the left side, it just bothers me. So we got to stop saying love Trump's hate unless we really mean it. And if we really mean it, then again, hard on the issues soft on people that's such a great thing gotta make that um, we're gonna make that into an instagram thing with you obviously using your image um because it's really it's too good of a quote uh, hey before i go i gotta tell you guys a lesson i learned again yes. i told you on i was in um i was at emporia i always mess that up I know it's State University and a, an 11 year old and I want to give her a shout out I'm not sure if she's listening or her parents we'll get it to her we'll find it out. But her name is Laura Baldwin and when I talked to her one-on-one about some of the things that we're talking about right now she said what you mean is argue against someone's point but not their character wow an 11 year old that's amazing said that. wow argue against someone's point but not their character so she, was this during a Q&A or she went up to you? Or yes, it was during, it was, it was, no, you know what, it was after. She it's came up so after cute. because I was greeting people and signing autographs and we were just extending our conversation. And she said the point that you were making in your speech was to argue against someone's point, not their character. Her name is Laura Baldwin. I met her in, at Emporia State University. I'm gonna, and I just want to give her a shout out for being so brilliant. Yeah, and I hope that awesome. the grown folks take a lesson from the 11 year old. Yeah. Argue against someone's point. She should teach, the, she should be at the DNC. She should be leading yes. workshops at the DNC, right? <laughs> yes, she should. Can I just thank you three for all oh, that you do? Thank you and, so much. And for having a sense of humor while you are oh. doing it. We need that. But just thank you for being brilliant, oh. Katie, Reggie, and Gabe. Thank you so much, Senator thank Nina you. Turner. And we'd love to have you back whenever you Anytime. have time. Anytime. It's my pleasure. And thank <laughs> you. Thanks so much. Okay. Okay. All thank right. you so much, Senator Turner. Thanks. Oh, my God. Sorry. Guys. So positive. So much good energy. She's, uh, we're going to add to the podcast, we're going to add some clips of her talking. She is the f best combination of extremely respectful and positive, but feisty. Well, she said everything that I was saying for, for even before the results of the election ended up turning out to be. 
And um, I was, I don't know, when she was talking about talking at each other mm-hmm. rather than talking to each other, I, I experienced that during the Women's March when I was talking to someone who had, um, attended the march in New York City. And I mentioned about we all need to be responsible of what has happened during this past march. And I'm not going to mention her name, but she's a producer here at WBAI. And she said immediately, when I said that, I am tired of the people picking on Hillary Clinton. And I said nothing like that. I I didn't (laughs) even go there. But since she went there, Mm -hmm. I, I said that, well, since you brought that up, what did Hillary did versus what did Donald did? How many times she showed up in uh, Wisconsin? Right. Oh, it's because of the third party people. No. Uh, Seven million mm. third party votes went to them and they should have went to Hillary. I said, none of the seven million people owed them And a lot anything. of them wouldn't have voted. Like, there's a question of what, whether they owed it, right? But also, the, the thing is, a lot of these people wouldn't have voted anyway. Exactly. They only voted for Stein. They wouldn't have come out of their houses to vote for exactly. Hillary. Because but, but but they for, hated vaccines. Right. That but was just the most like Nina no. Turner yeah. said... Yeah, they, just like Nina Turner said, entitlement, an assumption. Yeah. Oh, either this or the highway. Well, guess what? We got the highway and a very mm. bad, badly paved one, too. Yeah, you're very right. <laughs> you're very right. You know what? Um, we're going to bring a call in our next guest, Melissa Byrne, and she is running for vice chair of the DNC. It's very appropriate because, uh, of course, we were just talking to Senator Nina Turner and one of the things we were talking about is the significance of Congressman Keith Ellison's bid for DNC chair, which is, uh, of course, opposed by Tom Perez, who is really a continuation of the Obama legacy. And do can we play that clip of Nina Turner? You can. Okay, so we're going to play a short clip of Nina Turner just to give you guys more of a sense of how great a speaker she is, and then we're going to be talking to Melissa. Okay. More than 70 rallies all aimed to save health care are happening today nationwide, led by Senator Bernie Sanders and some Democratic members of Congress. Participants are calling for Washington to preserve the Affordable Care Act, Medicaid and Planned Parenthood funding. And yesterday, hundreds rallied in D.C. to call for the protection of Americans' civil rights under the incoming Trump administration. Let's listen to a moment from former Ohio State Senator Nina Turner. Brothers and sisters, I count it all joy to be here with you on this rainy afternoon because this gives us just a little taste of what our ancestors had to endure. Now, we got troubles. This moment reminds me of a spiritual song in the African-American tradition, How I Got Over. My soul looks back and wonders how I got over. Now, sisters and brothers, we know we got over by the blood, the sweat, and the tears of sheroes and heroes, some whose names we know and some whose names we do not know. But I will tell you something, we have been here before. Now the only difference is we got some company, Rev. We got our gay lesbian sisters and brothers with us this time. We got our Hispanic, Asian, Native American sisters and brothers with us this time. I think Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King said we may not have gotten here on the same ship, but we are in the same boat right now. We have been here before. And I know that you might be disappointed, but I want you to take solace in these words. We must accept finite disappointment. 
before. The mountain might be higher, but we've been here before. Because our mission for social justice and economic justice and political justice, and oh, by the way, sisters, we want our whole damn dollar. Say whole damn dollar. You see, the mission is so high, we can't get over it. And the mission is so low, we can't get under it. And the mission is so wide, we can't get around it. We might be disappointed, but we have been here before. And lastly, in the words of my grandmother, who was held from the South born in 1913, grandma could not read or write, but she could count her money. She kept her money in the Southern Ladies Bank and Trust with a handkerchief. Y'all know what I'm saying. When I asked grandma, what does it take to be successful in life? She said, all you need are the three bones, the wishbone, the jawbone, and the backbone. She said, the wishbone will keep you hoping and praying because hope is the motivator, but the dream is the driver. The jawbone will give you courage to speak truth to power, but the most important bone of them all, the super fragile, casualistic, expialidocious bone, hey, is the backbone, because it will keep you standing through your trials and tribulations. And guess what, sisters and brothers? We can't have a testimony without a test. And we are being tested right now. Well, whether or not we got courage enough hope enough, fight enough, love enough to do what is necessary. Hallelujah, somebody. Hello and welcome back. We are really happy to be talking to Melissa Byrne. Melissa, are you there? I am here. Hello, Katie. Hi, how are you? Um, That's a hard question these days. Oh, right. Okay, but the country is falling apart. The right. We have so much work to do. Melissa did work on electoral um, and labor campaigns, and most recently on pushing for free college and on Bernie's campaign. She is running for vice chair of the DNC. And also, I, I should add that the journalist Will Bunch aptly noted, you are a quote-unquote longtime brawler for social justice, which is quite, quite the uh, endorsement. And, I know. I've always wanted the moniker. I'm really yeah, happy to have that. That's great. I wanted you to tell people, if you could, about this race that you're in. It sounds like very exciting. And why you are running to be a vice chair of the DNC. Yeah, so um, like most things, there's more than just top of the ticket. So most people right now are focused on the battle between Ellison and Tom Perez and the other candidates for chair. Um, so I have stepped up to say we also need real progressives running for other parts of Democratic leadership. And I chose to run for vice chair. So that way I can have my voice in the mix and bring organizing back to the party with the progressive values. So what do you mean by organizing? And can you speak about your organizing um, history? Yeah, so what I mean by organizing, it means making sure that the state parties are funded to have staff on the ground doing organizing every day of the year and not just the GOTV weekends before an election. It's about making sure that staff are trained in progressive values, making sure that they're there to expand social security, to make college free, to work on racial justice, to work on women's rights, and not just there to climb the ladder. And you, your expertise is in field and digital organizing. So, Yeah, so I'm the weird person that does both field and digital. You're like uh, ambidextrous? Yeah, basically. So I, I see where they all intersect, and I think all organizing in the future is going to be a mix between digital and online, so I'm great to be doing it. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm, like, pumped about that. 
And I worked on Bernie's campaign. I worked for Move On. I've consulted. I worked. I did Occupy. Mm. Um, I was a big part of Occupy DC, Occupy Homes. I put my body on the line, so I've been arrested. And my friends and I were some of the first people arrested against the Iraq War. So I go way back into my organizing career uh, when I was doing work for justice instead of going to class. Oh, nice. Awesome. And what are the lessons that you learned from the Bernie campaign that you would apply to your being a chair? Respect. Uh, The key part of the Bernie campaign was respecting the voting public, Mm, respecting that they're smart, respecting that they want to get engaged, that they don't need gimmicks and emojis to get involved. So you don't have to do the dab to, like, get them to like you. Well, people... Bernie did the dab, people liked it. But you're you do authentic. But yeah, you right. don't have to be stunt. It wasn't dab you, in place of respect. Right. It was a it dab was like, on top of the people Sunday. weren't like, What are your policies? And he was like, Hold on a second, let me dab. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. And after that dab, I'm gonna just sit down with Mary J. Blige for a couple of minutes. Yeah, and hang out with Killer Mike and all of that. No, but, but, I was like, hey. no, but that was authentic, the Killer Mike thing. I was I was making fun of that painful, painful, painful interview between um Hillary Clinton and Mary J. Blige, which honestly yep. was so cringeworthy that it made me more sympathetic towards Hillary Clinton than I think ever in my life. Wow, that says a lot. Yeah, knowing that, knowing your views, my my complicated views about Hillary Clinton. <laughs> I think Gabe was nervous that we'd get like uh, something would happen to us. I think we both <laughs> the, the Clinton administration would lock us up for for my anti Clinton rants. For, for my all, biggest yeah. my biggest fear on November in the morning on November eighth is that we were going to win and then I wouldn't get a job because exactly it's too leftist. Yeah, I wish they, I would much rather right now be fighting to get a job in the Hillary administration than right. playing cleanup against Trump. Right. And what about in terms of organizing, like more more uh, boots on the ground types of lessons? Sure. So for the boots on the ground, it was like one. Having really good discipline. Like, I'm really proud I worked on the New Hampshire team. So I was the digital director there. So you have to see from, like, up close and personal what excellent organizing looks like and how you build power. A lot of people are all about the gimmicks of, like, oh, this new big thing or this new big that thing or this app or this or that. But what organizing comes down to is are you having conversations with people? Are people getting engaged? Are they showing up to help out? And do they feel valued and respected? And we were able to do that at scale in New Hampshire. What are some? And now we have. Sorry, what are some? How, what does that look like, uh, in a real it, world way? Because the, uh, all those points sound great, but they, you know, uh, let's say somebody wants to get involved with organizing. What what sure, would be so one exercise? One exercise. Say if you live in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and you wanted to organize. Uh, you could you be that guy, to... Stephen Avery, who was uh, making a murder. Sorry. Or, yeah, if they say you want to be on the ground to, like, start defeating Scott Walker and Paul Ryan in their home turf, and that's not Paul Ryan's district, but in that general area, you would invite folks over for a meeting. You would train them how to make phone calls. You would listen to them, and you'd get them on the phone. But if you want to, that's, like, what a lot of, like, basic organizing is, but if you want to do excellent organizing, your first step is, like, having a conversation with people, finding out their values, what motivates them, and really listening and then being able to connect what they care about to why they need to join this fight. So there's this one thing that I learned a long time ago, but it's just phrasing of development of people into volunteers of issue, anger, hope, action. So you find out their issue. You find out what makes them angry. You show them hope as to what can be changed. And then you do the 
action from it. Can you say that again? Use, those four, those words. Issue anger, hope action, and, and that's the process. Anger, hope action. It's too bad it doesn't make a very good. Um, I know. But it's, I, uh, it's not very DC. If yeah. it, if it You're was right. In DC, it would have a fancy acronym. Right. But it's just it's authentic, and right. it's what it is, and it's what works. Right. And that's what it brings it back down. I mean, and you need to play around with digital tools and like be able to expand. Not everybody's going to be organizing in their own like geographic area. People are going to organize across issues based on like different parts of the country or based on their skill set. And, and so you build that up too. What do you think needs to be kind of? Uh, Senator Turner was saying that she thinks that Bernie Kratz are owed an apology, um, and she didn't say that in a way that was kind of petty. She's talking about how how people need to kind of come clean with what they did and the mistakes that were done. Um, what what to you as someone who worked on the Sanders campaign, but we're part of a bigger movement, obviously, and that's the whole point of it. What do you feel like people really need to acknowledge, not so that you feel better, but so that the party can actually be effective? Sure. I think that what I would like to see is why I'm running for, for vice chair is to make sure that the actual progressives in the party mm. have a voice and feel heard is that there, that there are so many Democrats people out there who are either are Democrats who, or who would be Democrats. I mean, you look at the way that we, for Bernie, we won Michigan, we won Wisconsin. We had independent voters coming over to support us and our values is mm-hmm. people want people that are unapologetically for these views of free college, expanding social security, protecting abortion access, stopping tracking, being aggressive on racial justice, stopping deportation. That these aren't scary or as Bernie would say, like radical ideas. Right. And that we work to make it happen. And I think that's something that so many people that just come up the ranks of like inside sorry, there's a No, it's it's siren a re- outside it's, my house. It's because it's the urgency of these issues. That's so why Different room in my house. Yeah, yeah, and so what I want to see the party acknowledge is that they have messed up over the years by letting the Rahm Emanuel's of the party run the table on the issues. Like, people don't want the Rahm Emanuel's. Like, I personally, as somebody running for vice chair of the Democratic Party, if I'm elected, I would do whatever is possible to make sure that Rahm Emanuel knows that since he covered up the murder of Laquan McDonald, that he's not welcome to be a leader in the Democratic Party anymore, that we need to have standards for our people. You know what you could consider doing is uh, sending him a dead fish head or dead fish. You know, he did that, apparently. He he, He did do that. Right? Was it a fish or a horse head? I think it was a fish. We yeah. have the March of the Fishes yeah. in, in Chicago. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, that's how but, dedicated yeah. he is to progressive politics. Uh, and yeah, so I think that's what, that's what we need. I don't, you know, like, I know people are angry at the DNC and they're bitter, but, like, people are, the Trump just signed the ban on people coming from Muslim countries into the U.S. He signed the executive order to build the wall. Yes. Um, T- can you tell us? down. Park Service Twitter accounts. Although, right. can we just say, like, all props to radical people in national parks and their, like, alternative Twitter accounts? Yeah. They're giving me hope right now. Can you explain but what's happening there? Yeah. Like, we're, all of our nightmares are coming true. And um, he's just using executive orders, whether or not, like, some of them aren't actually legal. Right. He doesn't actually, because he, he doesn't actually care about rule right. of law. So, like, he's putting out these edicts. I think some of them more edicts than executive orders. So a lot of them aren't actually going to be able to be enforceable. The one banning money to sanctuary cities, that's not enforceable. So facts. how do we... Facts don't matter. Right. And how do we, like, navigate that? Because there's so many awful things he is doing. And how do we how do we know what to pay attention to? Well, one, we have to pay attention to, to everything. Okay. Because everybody's lives matter. 
and that we can't we can't say that like oh the environment like no I mean the ones that I mean how do we how much do we focus on something that's not implementable in the first place that's what I mean I don't mean there's a triage in terms of issues yes I think part of it I think like what matters is is we have to get ahead of the media game Mm. so even if like the banning the money of sanctuary cities isn't isn't feasible it's out there in the media narrative that's going to drive it so we need to have the team of folks who are working on that being able to like cut that media off about it we need to be doing the same with all of them and then we need to be working to make sure that locally that there are rapid response groups out there to be able to protect people that are going to be harmed by his policies. okay so uh any particular groups that you want to mention or organizations or initiatives because i think we're going to have to start dedicating part of the show to like real immediate actionable well i mean absolutely i mean you're based in new york where mayor de blasio has come out swinging to be able to have new york values be the norm Nice. And you have Make the Road, right. which is leading on immigration reform and protection. We have Color of Change. There's Mulan. There's a lot of tiny groups. There's all the new people that are organizing. So we're going to see lots of new groups and initiatives that are going to be coming out of, like, everybody getting engaged. And these are going to be some bumpy roads. Like, things aren't going to be perfect. So I think part of it is, is, like, how do we navigate the bumpiness of everything and that we don't start eating our own. Like we're gonna, people are gonna make mistakes. They're gonna make choices we don't agree with, and we have to figure out how not to like be in a mode of like constantly reacting negatively and to stay to survive because it's gonna be the longest marathon any of us ever run. And what else do you think the Democrats? uh, Do you see any signs of Democrats learning their lessons? I see some. I see like I see like these glimmers of hope. Um, I was really impressed when the. And Ohio Dems immediately put out an email about the White House turning off the comment line mm. and letting people know. Like, it's, like a lot of times, like Democrats have outsourced really good social justice organizing to outside groups, and the party has been invisible. And what we need is the party to be visible out there, so the party to be putting their bodies on the line to stop its deportation. People in the party to be out there making sure women still have access to abortion the party being out there locally, like serving folks in their community. So to have that visibility, the people associate the Democratic Party with the people leading the resistance and not just being snarky on Twitter. Uh, With the Democratic Party right now, uh, we're looking at um, some of Donald Trump's appointments, and there are Democrats uh, who have been going along with those, uh, with his uh, appointments. And so sort of what is, um, what's the takeaway on that? I think uh, personally there's been some, some further disillusionment seeing establishment Democrats sort of uh, crossing the aisle to work with uh, the Trump administration? Yeah, I think like part of that also, like, we can't just react negatively to everything. I think this is like for the phase is if, if you're making, if you're an otherwise like awesome senator and you make a bad vote, you need to have hard conversations with them. So the first step should be like finding out why. And, so- and if it's a bad reason, then you like, you know, run a campaign about that. And it's kind of seeing, like, is there a check strategy? I think part of the problem is, is that Schumer is new leading the Democratic Party. We have a new majority leader in this. Sorry, a new minor, minority leader mm-hmm. in the Senate. God, I wish we were the majority leader. Right. That would be, our life would be so much better. But I don't think, and Schumer is not the most progressive guy. You guys live in New York. So right. You're familiar yeah. with, with, with Schumer. Yeah, and then he's um, fascist on Middle East. But uh, moving on. Yeah. So these are the things. I think, like, part of that is, like, seeing the game. But and then you, making sure that we hold the line on Tillerson, 
Um, right, but why? I mean, what in terms of the numbers? I mean, what, do you have anything to say about the strategy and what Democrats' choices well, are? I think right now they don't have a unified strategy, which is part of the problem. Right, and, and that's the pro- that that's the key problem. Like, there should have been a unified strategy going in to all the nominations. But I'm also not willing at this point to start bashing people who are other who are normally good. I think the mansion and the high camps, like they are just never good on things. So they can definitely keep taking flack. Right. But our ones that are generally good on issues, I think we need to like figure out how to trust them that they're seeing a path. Right. But um, what I don't, I'm not even being rhetorical. Like, what could that path be? Is it? Because... I think I, I want them voting no on everything. You what? Be like I, I. My idea is to have them. They should just vote no on everything. Right. 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 But I'm. Ju- I'm just asking. Like, what? What is their strategic? What is their path? I don't even. I'm not being like snarky or rhetorical. No, I think that's part of it. Is that they were? I think part of the problem with the Democratic Party is that everybody was so overconfident that Hillary would win. Right. That there was no strategy for Trump winning. Right. And they. And. And so there wasn't a team that was, like, clustered and cut off from all the campaigners. Because during a race, you can't tell people who are on the ground fighting, here's our contingency plan if, like, Trump wins. Because people who are in the middle of fighting can only think about winning. They can only think about doing the work. They can't be the ones that are, like, doing contingency planning. But why don't but, they – I just guess why, – why, why isn't everyone just voting no? Um, I don't know. It was like Elizabeth Warren put out a statement that she thought it was – that Ben Carson answered the questions correctly, and it was important to move the process along to get a leader at HUD. Mm. Um, In all fairness, I I, also, I feel like Ben kind of wonky. Ben Carson is really he re I mean he's just so HUD experienced. I mean so much HUD experience. So much, so HUD. much HUD. Like so much HUD. He's a doctor. I mean, none of also the other thing is like none of them are experienced. Right. Except so, for General Mattis. Right. Who, who is experienced? Like, He's like yeah, horrible. I never thought. Right. I never thought I would actually have a little bit of faith in Mattis to be this the reasonable one in the room. He's vetted. He's vetted as very bad. Yeah, Although, but I also think yeah. I think the one thing that's good about him is that he is at least loyal to men and women and non-gender non-conforming people who serve in the military. I, I doubt he really incorporates. I, I'm, I don't mean to burst your bubble. He may not be. Uh, woke when it comes to transgender people. Probably, totally not, but I right. can be. I know, I know, I know. Um, yeah. That's how it starts, but I think that... Well, he cares he about, be, I mean, he's 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 pretty hawkish, right? So He's also responsible, though, in terms of like, he thinks about outcomes of situations because it's his troops that would die. And so I think that that is... I've talked to several people that have served in the military under him mm. who are super progressive, and they've all yeah. said that they feel better knowing that he's there that hmm. he could end up being a check to donald trump i don't you know i would right. see it happen right i like, think I'm, it's probably we're damning him with faint praise which is that i'm sure he would let lots of soldiers die which is what most uh <laughs> hawks do but probably like not more than usual maybe or like try to prevent some bad things because mm-hmm. trump has no military experience right 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 so i think that of the appointments i think that mattis might be a a reasonable one in the room right but That's at the end of the day because trump believes in because trump like wants to bring back torture and wants to bring back all of these things we can't just be focused on domestic policy we need to make sure that win without war and move on that doesn't international work on mm-hmm. foreign policy that they are also being engaged and that they are fighting hard and senators like chris murphy who is really trying to lead on foreign policy and responsible foreign policy that they're pushed forward into the spotlight as well, right. which is hard because we basically have to play 
on every single issue right now. We don't get to say that this is the week for student debt or this is the week for immigration. Right. Like every day is fighting on every it's issue. It's good we're it's good our generation are such multitaskers. Yeah, I mean, it's probably terrible, honestly, in the long run, and, and we're not as productive. But maybe in this one, a post-Trump world requires that. Well, Melissa Byrne, thank you so much. And what's your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is at M-T-B-Y-R-N-E. And you can read more about me at melissafordnc.org. Great. And feel free to reach out to me if there's issues I haven't covered. Sure, I'm yeah. always up to learning more. Well, thank you so much. And, yeah, thank you for um, having me on. Yeah. Thank you. Local media is important. We need to keep you going. Yes, thank you. And so if you awesome. get to, if you win that, you gotta get. You know, I want to be hired. We're gonna be hired by the uh, DNC uh, vice chair. We're gonna be the official media of the DNC vice chair. I'm making that sounds great. Right? Sounds that's, good, that, right? That sounds great. I can't promise, but I, I will know. work to make that happen. Thank you. That's the organizing okay. that needs to be done. Thank you so much, guys. It's Katie Halper Show. Bye, Melissa. You can hear us every Wednesday at 7 p.m. WBAI.org, 99.5 FM. And we will see you next week. And our next live show is the uh, is February 8th, the second Wednesday of February.